So, Pastor, stay there for just a moment because I'm just going to mention some things I've got. First of all, I am going to gift you the two-part sermon dealing with bitterness. You have rights to copy those if you want to. All right, make copies of it. No, more than willing, it's two parts. Uh, and then second of all, I want to go ahead and gift the sermon. It's a two-parter, and I preached it a while ago, but next to bitterness, it's probably one of the most powerful two-message series I preach. Abide in Him. Abide in Him. Very, very powerful. Every Christian. Now, I just remind you, just because you belong to Him doesn't mean you're abiding in Him. Amen? This tells you why and how to abide in the Savior you belong to. And by the way, FYI, every family here tonight gets one of these as a gift and a thank you from us, no charge as well. So on the way out, see my wife. We want your household to have the sermon, Abide in Him, two-part, all right? Amen? So if you forget to ask, we're not chasing you down. You need to ask. And if somebody runs up and says, I heard there was, there was a free sermon Wednesday night. Can I have one? Nope, you had to be here Wednesday night. The giver gets to set the rules, amen? So you say, should have been here Wednesday night because that's when he gave it out. So if you're a family here tonight, be sure. We limit it one per family, but be sure to get that. And then, Pastor, I'm going to give you, hello, my name is David. Step by step, how to develop that. And we talked about that. And then one more thing. Some of you have pestered me to death this week about sermons for sale. You have sermons for sale. I've had a number of you come up. Some, some of you didn't believe, it, but you weren't happy with my kind of push-off answer. So you ran to my wife and asked her. She said, they've been asking me. So <clears throat> this is only the second time I've done it. We just developed something new. We're going to make it available for sale tonight. It is not the two gigabyte ammo. It's the four gigabyte ammo thumb drive. It's the silver bullet. People say there's no silver bullet. There's one now. Let me tell you what's on that thing. 24 of my sermons. Studio edited, mastered, narrated, intro and outtake. One of the unique series on here is called God's Blueprint for a Happy Home. Well, if anybody's ever heard that series, that is a life-changing series, regardless of where you are, husband, wife, teenager, whatever, that's a very powerful series. Uh, also on the thumb drive, we have the dramatized audio of John. We have 125 American landscape photos with King James Scripture to download as a screensaver on your, on your computer. This is the only thing in the world right now that has all seven of our children's music CDs on it. All seven of them. Who's ever heard of the John Marshall family singers? That's what our children sounded like. Who's heard our children sing? Anybody ever heard? Top shelf. Four-part harmonies, tight, wonderful music, godly music, powerful. This is the only thing. I've had a lot of requests from people for their music. We just don't make it available. You've got to run a thousand of those things off at a time. And I live in an RV and, you know, this... If you want to hear some incredible Christian music, seven, all, it's the only thing, all seven of their albums are on this thing. So that whole thing has about $350 worth of music, uh, sermons, uh, some clips from the DVD, all kinds of stuff. We make it available for $35. All right, you're the only second church I've done this. Now here's what happens. You buy that, you get the waterproof thumb drive, but whatever comes in overage, I use to send packages to the troops. So you're helping them get ammo when you get ammo. That's how it is. All right, so, Pastor, I'm giving you a complimentary one. All right? And uh, it's downloadable, it's waterproof, and it's reusable, and it's four gigs. You, All right, there you go. You got it? 
You know how to run something like that? I have no idea. You have no idea. Okay. You check with the young, you check with the young crowd, brother. They'll tell you, amen. But <laughs> there you go. There's the envelope. If you want to just put it in there, list the thumb drive. I staple it to the very form we send to the troops when we send them overseas that lists everything that's on there. And uh, that, it, that's unique. You're only the second church I've done that. It's that new. I just really haven't promoted it a lot. We, uh, we don't want to run out of all of them that we're sending to the troops. But you guys, uh, you badgered me enough. I'm going to cut it loose this week. All right? So there you go. Who needs a handout? Who needs a handout? All right? Does anybody need a handout and or a pen? All right? If you do, raise your hand. A handout or a pen. All right. Wow. Our ushers have done a good. Hand out or pen. Just slip your hand up. All right. A little piano player. All right, anybody else? Take your Bibles and go to James chapter 3. Brother, good to have you here tonight, Pastor. Appreciate you opening in prayer. That, that was a blessing. Thank you. James chapter 3. Once you find your place, if you're able to stand comfortably, stand with me, and I'll know that you have it. James chapter 3. Beginning in verse number 1, James chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, begins this way, speaking to believers. He says, my brethren, James 3, verse 1, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue. The tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. I want to conclude our time together in the book of James tonight, focusing on a third area that God wants us to grow up in, and that would be in the use of our tongue. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening again for the privilege and honor to be in your house and with your people. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And we ask tonight that you would cleanse us of any thoughts that would hinder your working. I pray you would help us to set aside busy concerns, those things that would draw our mind away from your word. And Lord, may tonight we sit at your feet and be challenged by your word through the preaching of your word, Father. And I pray tonight that Lord, if there's one among us who's unsaved, you would reveal this to them. And Father, for each of us that are saved, 
challenge us tonight to grow up in this area concerning our tongue. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I mentioned as we begin the series of thoughts Monday night that the book of James deals with authentic Christianity. The central theme all throughout the book of James is this thought to grow up. We were challenged to grow up Monday night, first of all, in chapter 1, in our attitude toward trials and tribulations. Then last night in chapter 2, we saw God challenge every one of us to grow up in our attitude toward what we treasure and value. Oftentimes, remember how it's revealed? Oftentimes revealed in our treatment of people. I said last night as we closed it out, you can often tell the character of an individual by how they treat the person who can do nothing for them. You with me? The nobody, if you could say it that way. Uh, Deb was scribbling furiously as I closed the message out. She said, you never quite said it that way. That was very profound. But in essence, what it was was this attitude. Sometimes we have this attitude, you're not worth my time. And God said, no, but they were worth the life and death of my son. How we oftentimes devalue people that... Jesus died for. We need to be careful, but for the grace of God, hey, we'd still be lost. None of us is, is, is worthy of that name. Amen? None of us has a right to say, I'm good enough. No, we're bad enough, and that's why he saved us. Amen? We were just dirty, rotten, wicked, filthy sinners, but praise the Lord, we got saved by grace. And that ought to give us a heart toward others, regardless of where they are and what station of life they're in. We were challenged last night to grow up in our attitude toward what we treasure and value, oftentimes seen in our treatment of people. But tonight I want to close in chapter 3 with a, a third area God challenges us to grow up in, and it's concerning the use of the tongue. Write that in there. In chapter 3 clearly deals with the use of the tongue. Write that down, the tongue. And notice how this portion of Scripture begins in verse number 1. It begins with the command. Notice the command in, in chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. That's an interesting command. The command is this, be not many masters. In other words, what he's saying is don't constantly desire to be in charge. Don't always be the one that has to call the shots. Don't always be the one that has to rule and govern and take control of something. Why not? He notes why, knowing that we, that would be masters, those in leadership, shall receive the greater condemnation. He warns us of always wanting to be the one to rule, control, or oversee. Because masters will be held to a higher standard. Amen? Do you understand tonight? Leaders will be held more accountable for the advice they've given. For the instruction they've disseminated to others. And also for the example that they've lived. And when we say masters, we could say pastors. We could say teachers. We could say fathers. We could say parents. 
The command is, be not many masters, for with all that authority comes great responsibility. Notice, then a question gets inferred in verse number 2. He says, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. The question is inferred, is it possible to have a tongue that does not offend? That's the inferred question in verse 2. Is it possible to have a tongue that does not offend? Pause. Look up. What do you think? What's your thoughts? I mean, I, I, I've just begun to preach this series, and I get to hear different answers. Some would say, well, no, it's, it's impossible not to have a tongue that, you know, to have a tongue that doesn't offend. And yet, others would say, well, yes, it is possible to have a tongue that doesn't offend. I won't even show, ask for show of hands, because right now your gears are just turning you're not really sure 50-50 which way should you phone a friend. You're not really sure. I mean, what is the final answer? You know. And I believe Scripture bears the final answer out to be this. Yes. Yes. Write that in there. The answer immediately or the question that comes right behind that, behind that would be how. Well, how? The, the answer is given there. Notice, right in verse 2, he gives us the answer. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a what kind of man? Say the word. Perfect. Say it again. Perfect. That word perfect means mature. That word perfect means grown up. Amen? Complete in Jesus Christ. And, and you say, well, how can I have a tongue that doesn't offend? Be perfect. You say, well, is that possible? There happens to be someone in Scripture that shows us it is. Go back to Job chapter 1. God gives him that very title. In Job chapter 1, notice what's said here. Job 1 and verse number 8. The Lord is speaking here in Job 1 verse 8. The oldest book in your Bible is the book of Job, by the way. Just historically and date-wise, the oldest book is the book of Job. Notice here in chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible says this, And the Lord said unto Satan, Now remember, the Lord is making this assessment. Hast thou considered my servant Job? Notice the devil doesn't point Job out. God points Job out. That there is none like him in the earth, a what kind of man? Perfect man. And an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Notice with me in verse number 22, Job has lost it all in a single day. He loses his business. He loses his family. He loses his wealth. And then he loses his health. And on the heels of all of this devastation, notice what occurs in verse number 20. Then Job arose and ran his mantle and shaved his head. And fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came out of my mother's womb. In other words, I showed up with nothing. And naked shall I return thither. I am leaving with nothing. And the Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. And look at this. Blessed be the name of the Lord in all this. Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Now, I wonder about us if <laughs> we had that kind of day. You know, we lose our business and all our finances, we, we lose our family, all of our children in a single day, 
are, are sent into eternity. We, we lose our wealth, all of our savings accounts, our 401ks, it's all gone. And in the very same day, then we, we lose our health. We're struck, strucken or stricken, stricken, I guess would be the word, with a horrible disease. I wonder, would we fall down before the Lord and worship him? Would what come out of our lips be praise to the Lord and say, you know, I had nothing when I showed up. I got nothing when I leave and charge God, not charge God foolishly. Job did that. In fact, his wife came along in chapter 2. Look at what's said here to confirm this point in verse number 9. In Job 2 and verse 9, then said his wife unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Notice what she goads him to do. Curse God and die. In other words, with your lips, would you just blame God? With your lips, would you curse God for what he allowed in your life? And look at how Job responds in verse 10. But he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? And look at it reconfirms this. In all this did not Job sin with his lips. So let's come full circle before we move into the study of the tongue tonight. Is it possible to have a tongue that does not offend? The answer, from what I see in Scripture, clearly is yes. And you say how? Be perfect. In other words, be just like Job, who sinned not with his lips. Amen? Now, three things about the tongue we're going to look at tonight. First, we want to consider the purpose of the tongue. Why did God give you a tongue? All right? Of all the body parts, why a tongue? All right? We want to look at the purpose of the tongue, that God gave you one, why he gave you one as your creator. Number two, we want to consider the power of the tongue, just how powerful it is, though it's a small member. And then thirdly, we want to consider the perverseness of the tongue. Let's ro roll through James 3, just work our way through Scripture. Notice here, first of all, the purpose of the tongue. Actually, we won't start in James. Go with me to, the, to Psalm 35 and verse number 28. Psalm 35, I'll give you the answer in a bit, but Psalm 35 and verse number 28. What's the very first purpose of your tongue? Why did God give you a tongue? The psalmist says this in Psalm 35 and verse number 28. <clears throat> he says, and my tongue, Psalm 35, 28, and my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. What is the purpose for your tongue? The very first purpose, according to that verse, and another one we'll look at, write it down, is to praise and glorify the Lord. The first purpose for your tongue is not to curse the Lord. It's to praise the Lord. Amen? It's not to tear down your Savior. It's to build Him up and glorify Him and draw glory to His name. That's why God gave you a tongue, to praise and glorify the Lord. Look at what he said in Psalm 71. The psalmist says this in Psalm 71 and verse number 14. He reconfirms the purpose of the tongue, the lips, the mouth. They're collectively the same thing. In Psalm 71, look at what he says in verse 14. He says, but I will hope continually 
and will yet praise thee more and more. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. And look at what he says in verse 22. I will also praise thee with the psaltery, even thy truth, O my God. Look at what he says in verse 23. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee. And verse 24, my tongue also shall talk of thy righteousness all the day long. First purpose of your tongue tonight, according to the word of God, is to praise and glorify the Lord. Amen? Number two, what's the second purpose of the tongue? Write this in. To communicate truth. To communicate truth. God did not give you a tongue to communicate error. God did not give you a tongue to communicate lies. God gave you a tongue, second of all, to promote and communicate truth. Look at what's said in Ephesians chapter 4, New Testament. Go there with me. In Ephesians chapter 4, look at the purpose of the tongue. And again, the lips and the mouth, it's a collective, a kind of a collective team, all three. A tongue very specifically there, but without the tongue, there's no sense uh, for the lips and mouth when it comes to speech. Notice what's said here in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4 and verse number 11. Ephesians 4 and verse 11 says this, And he gave some, and the he there is the Lord, and he, he, he gave gifts to men. If you go back earlier in chapter 4, and these gifts are as follows, apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What's the purpose of all of those offices? For the perfecting of the same. Remember, perfect means mature, complete. You understand tonight, just a little sidebar, you understand tonight that the ministry of a pastor and the ministry of a local church is to grow you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is God's spiritual institution for spiritual growth. Just like a home is God's institution for physical growth. You with me? Y'all with me? I was talking to a guy here just a week ago, two weeks ago. It was Prescott, Arizona. I ran into a guy who was homeschooling. All of his kids were spread out at a Einstein Brothers bagel shop. And I love coffee shops. I'm in there eating a bagel. I have my coffee. And this is just a really sweet family sitting there, all four working their books, two girls, two boys. And there was just, I came by and I just said, hey, blessing to watch you guys homeschooling, huh? I said, yeah. I said, well, we had six of them, and we, so we talked briefly, and I said, here's my name. My name's David. This is my story. I gave him my little story track, and uh, he came by afterwards. He said, I want your number. He gave me a call, and we ended up meeting two days later in a coffee shop. He'd never been a member of a local church, though he'd been saved for about 10 years. He said, I'm beginning to attend one now, and he said, what's the value of that? He said, sometimes I wonder why I need a local church. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, do you, believe a, uh, do you believe in constituted authority? He said, I do. I said, do you believe that government is a constituted authority? He said, I do. I said, do you believe that marriage is a constituted, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the home and marriage, a uh, uh, institution ordained by God? They said, yes. I said, do you believe government? Yes. I said, the local church is too. He said, well, but I had a bad experience in a church. I said, well, okay. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever have a bad experience in your marriage? 
He said, well, yeah, we've had struggles. I said, so did you quit on the marriage? No. I said, why not? Because I know God's in a marriage. He's not in shacking up. Amen? Y'all with me? I says, well, God's in a local church too. Just because you had a bad experience doesn't mean it's bad. The institution itself is wonderful. It's the sinners that are in it that sometimes create the problems. Amen? And P.S., you are one and so am I. He said, that is so profound. It incredibly helped him. Amen? Some of us came from bad homes, raised in a home where there was a bad marriage is the example. Amen? But that didn't mean God got rid of marriage. We still chose marriage instead of shacking up. Some of us came through bad church experiences. You know, you know what I'm saying? For whatever reason, well, that doesn't mean you get rid of the local church. It's still God's ordained institution. I have never in my entire Christian life met a spiritually mature, firing on every cylinder Christian, fully serving the Lord as they should, outside of a local church, period. This is God's ordained institution. This is where you learn to forgive, just like a family learns to forgive because you're stuck with each other. Amen? This is where you learn to serve, just like a family learns to serve. Y'all with me? Y'all laughing. You've never lived in a motorhome with six children. Come on, now that's a sermon illustration. Five teenagers at one time. Son, I'm telling you. Whew. The names can't be changed because nobody was innocent, all right, including the skipper. But anyhow, point, point being, y'all you know, with me? I mean, this is, this is where, and so God gives gifts. He gives pastors, teachers, evangelists, so forth, to the local assembly for what? The perfecting of the saint, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, which means building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God unto a, here it is, perfect man under the measure of stature of fullness of Christ. Look at this, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, getting all messed up with doctrine, but verse 15, speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Wow. You know the second purpose of your tongue is to communicate truth, to speak truth, and then to speak it in a spirit of love. Amen? Isn't that powerful? If you want to write a verse down here, you could write Proverbs 12, 22 down because there it says this, lying lips, that's the opposite of the purpose of your tongue, which is to speak truth. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. God hates the tongue being used to lie. He wants the tongue to be used in speaking truth. Amen? So... The first purpose of the tongue is to praise and glorify the Lord. The second is to communicate truth. The third one is to serve and encourage others. Amen? Write that in there. The third reason you have a tongue tonight is to serve and encourage others. Look at here. We're in Ephesians 4, so look at what's said in verse number 29. It says this. Let How much corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth? Say that like you really mean that, all right? How much say no, all right? No corrupt communication proceed forth out of your mouth. But watch this. But that which is good to the use of edifying, there's that word again, building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You know the third reason for your tongue tonight and my tongue? It's to serve and encourage others. It's not meant to serve you. It's meant to serve others. 
in this realm to build and lift them up rather than tear them down. Amen? Proverbs 25 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Isn't it, isn't it a blessing? Somebody said to me one time, when you, when you spend time with people, they, they may not, uh, f- they may forget what you said or they may forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Wow. About a year and a half ago, I heard that. You know, I'm, I'm that guy that can be real snarky. I can use you as a sarcastic, quick little joke. Well, I can use me too. But man, when I heard that, I went, whoa. I wonder how I've made people feel, you know. The tongue created by God and given to us, is meant to praise and glorify Him, communicate truth, and then serve and encourage and lift up others. Amen? Isn't that good? That's the purpose of the tongue. Second of all, the power of the tongue. Well, if that's the purpose, how adept is it at doing that? How powerful is the tongue? Look at, go back to James and our second point, and look at how it's described in its power. It's a very small Thing The tongue in all the body parts is one of the smallest body parts you have. But notice its power is noted here, and it's compared to two things. Verse 3 says this, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that, we, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Then he says in verse 4, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, Whithersoever the governor listeth, in verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member. Here the tongue is compared to two things. First of all, a bit in a horse's mouth. How many of you have ever worked with horses, all right? All right, and you get to the percherons, you get to some of the big boys, and uh, they're big creatures. But isn't it interesting, for all their power, they outweigh us, they're huge. I mean, there's way more power in, in the horses than there is in us just physically, you put that little bit in their mouth, it's just a little thing, and that rider can make that horse go left, can make that horse go right, can pull that horse to a stop even if it doesn't want to. He can control that, that horse with that little tiny bit in that horse's mouth. Second of all, the ships. And this is obviously a sailing ship being noted here. It says, though they're huge, and though winds may be fierce, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. What's the helm? Anybody know what the helm is? All right, it's the steering mechanism. The tiller is sometimes what we call it. If you have a little motorboat, and that's the helm right there, the tiller that has a rudder attached to it. And notice it says they're turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor, that's the person who's there governing and in charge, whithersoever the governor wants it to go. It's amazing, that huge ship, all the wind, the ocean, with that little tiny helm, that tiller, the skipper can go ahead and turn that giant ship whithersoever he wants, port, starboard, whatever way. 
Here's what the Lord's saying here. The power of the tongue is great. Turn the page. The horse does not control its direction. Note this. The rider does via the bit. And the ship does not control its direction. The governor does via the tiller. Both small things. There's great movement by a very small member. Notice the tongue, though small, influences greatly. Look in verse number 5. He says this, even so the tongue is a little member. Boast is great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Then look at what he says. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, setteth on fire the course of nature, it is set on fire of hell. Number one, write this in here. Your tongue, though small, is powerful in its influence. It is powerful in its influence. According to James 3 and verse number 6. It's described as a fire. It seems so little, but you think of what fire can do. and You think of the power of a fire and what it takes to put that thing out when it gets going and how much it destroys in its path. That's the tongue, though small. It has great influence and, in, and consequence. Go back to Proverbs 18. I want you to watch something here. Proverbs chapter 18. Look at this. You got to write this down. Proverbs 18. Verse, verse number 8. In Proverbs 18, 8. Look at the power of the tongue. Look at how influential it is. In Proverbs 18, in verse number 8. I'm in Psalm 18. I want to be in Proverbs 18. I'm saying there's no way. There it is. Proverbs 18, 8. Look at this. The Bible says the words of a talebearer. That's a gossip. That's somebody who spreads rumors. Whether what, They're not sure it's true, but boy, did you hear about so-and-so. Okay, that's a talebearer. Oh, let me tell you about so-and-so. That's a talebearer. The words of those talebearers, they're as wounds, Scripture says. They go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Look at what's said in verse number 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Wow. Yeah, I could say this tonight. According to those two verses, whoever said these words, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is an absolute lie. I have seen more families, more people, more churches, more ministers, more Christians, more hurt by words than anything else. You think of words that light fires. You think of Adolf Hitler and his words, how they inflamed a nation and, and literally brought about the Holocaust. Holocaust, those were words he inflamed, he impassioned. Those words buried millions. Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, did not know the power of the tongue. How powerful? Life versus death. You can't get more, any more extreme than that. <laughs> you're either the savior of life, your words bring life, or your words bring death. That's how powerful they are. Amen? The tongue is incredibly influential. That's what God wants you to see. It's 
very powerful in its influence, but then notice something else. Go back to James 3, and, and, and we struggle with this, but he notes something else. It's powerful in its indominance. Look at what's said in James 3, verse number 7. He says, for every kind of beasts, James 3, 7, and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. You ready for this now? Look at this in verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. God. Wow. How many men can tame the tongue? Scripture makes it clear. No man. No man. It is not only powerful, your tongue is not only powerful in its influence, life and death, but second of all, it's powerful in its indominance. It, it cannot be tamed by men. And notice its default setting. It's so perverse, the perverseness of the tongue. Look at how he goes on now. He says in verse 8, but the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Now watch this. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. We sing hymns. What was the hymn we, we started with tonight? Uh, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. Ah, with that tongue we lift up and praise the Lord. And then he says, and therewith bless we God. And then with that very same tongue, therewith curse we men. We praise the one who created man and we curse the men and women he created. Whoa. Notice the default setting. It is unruly evil full of deadly poison. The default setting is evil and poisonous. Go to Titus 3. I want to give you something here. I want to give you something. I told somebody, if we get through this message near the end, it really turns hard and hits you hard. This isn't the place, but we're getting close, but this, this, will hit, will, this will hit every one of us. In Titus, look what's said here. The default setting of your tongue is evil and poisonous. Titus 3 tells us something interesting here. Titus chapter 3, look at what's said in verse number 1. Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse number 1. Titus is being commanded here through, the, through Paul by the Spirit of God to remind Christians to be and do something. Notice what the reminder is in Titus 3.1. He says, put them in mind, all right? Put them in mind, put the believers in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Watch this now, to speak evil of, say those next two words with me, no man. Do you know that's a command? To speak evil of how many men? No man. I remember years ago when I was in Alaska, we had a pastor's class in our little local church, and, and so uh, uh, I, I myself, in fact, Brother Kurt was asking me tonight about my background. I've never been to Bible college. I just came through a local church and just learned the ministry on the inside. Tuesday night classes. We had Tuesday night classes, and and I uh, just learned the ministry and was trained up through the local church. And I remember we were duplicating that in the church plant that we planted up in Fairbanks, Alaska, North Pole area. 
And so I was one of the teachers, and my pastor was a teacher. We had a third man, and it was, I believe, a Tuesday night. And we were, I don't know what we were studying, but we came across this. And the Spirit of God really prompted me to do something for a homework assignment. You know how how sometimes we hear things, but all we do is hear them. We think we're spiritual now because we know them, but we're not planning to do anything with them. You know, we just think we're spiritual because we know something somebody else doesn't know. But that's not spirituality. That's just accountability. Spirituality is actually going out and doing with the truth what you heard. Amen? And so I read that portion of Scripture, and this is what I said to the men. I said, um, as we closed tonight, I was the third teacher that night. I said, we have a homework assignment, and here's our homework assignment. Scripture says that you and I are to speak evil of no man. Zero. So here's our assignment. Between now and next Tuesday, we're going to purpose to never say anything derogatory about another individual. You say, well, now, now, now wait a minute. Just let me, let me explain. The evangelist Billy Sunday, if you were to ever study his ministry, he never put a person down. He never named them by name. He would preach against corrupt politicians. He let the Holy Spirit of God apply that truth. He would preach against the booze industry and let the Holy Spirit of God apply the truth. He would never name a person by name. He would preach against the sin and let the Spirit of God apply that. He'd preach against corruption in various areas. You all with me? And I told Deb, as we were just talking about this tonight before I preached, I said, do you know we can speak evil of evil? There's nothing wrong with that. Amen? We ought to down evil. We ought to promote righteousness. You with me? But we should not, because we don't always have all the facts, we shouldn't go pick, go back, look at the text. I'm just giving this to you, and then I'm going to tell you what the assignment was and what happened. But notice what he says here, verse 2, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Why? For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another until the love of God our Savior toward us appeared. I said to the guys, I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that. We're going to apply it. We're going to try to go for an entire week without one time having an evil comment or derogatory comment come out of our lips about another person. (laughs) There were 15 of us. You say, well, how did it go? Two men failed before we got out of the building. They said something snarky and mean about another guy right there. And I went, ah. And then one of the guys goes, ah. I mean, you try this. You try this assignment. You will be shocked at how quickly we put other people down. You will be shocked at how quickly that we don't deal with the sin. We like to peg the sinner because that makes us look better. You know what I'm saying? You would be shocked how quickly we speak evil of men and women, boys and girls. Quickly. Fifteen of us. I was the second to the last one to fall. Was it five days in, I think, and I think it was five days in, and I said something snarky about somebody. And one of the men in the class happened to be there. It was, he was a businessman with me, and he goes... 
One guy passed out of 15. His name was Ray Trussell. Ray just didn't talk. <laughs> you know, the Bible does say in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, right? If you talk too much, sooner or later, you will say something you probably shouldn't have said. Amen? <laughs> Let thy words be few. I told Deb tonight as we were studying, she goes, man, that's a great thought. I said, let's really make it great. So what do you mean? I said, tonight, you and I are going to take the challenge. And we're going to see who can go the longest. See if we can both go seven days without saying anything evil or ill of another individual. You're looking at me like, well, that's good for you. <laughs> go get them. <laughs> Don't ask me to. Well, I'm not. The Lord's telling you to. Amen? That's kind of been there long before tonight. Don't blow past it. You'll find very quickly you have a default setting. It has a tendency to tear down rather than build up. It's very quick to find fault. It's very quick to, at the expense of someone else, lift up yourself. Perverseness of the tongue is found there. And by the way, Deb and I, we're going to be doing this. Don't call and find out who won because I think I'm going to know, but just you pray for us, okay? You know what I found out when the very first time, I've never done this assignment since, purposely set as a weekly goal tonight. I'm doing it for the second time in my life. I found out that I had a default setting and it wasn't good. And it made me think twice before I said anything. It was good. It was good. It was very good for me. And so Deb and I are going to go after this. I, I'm scared to death. We, uh, who's going to win it? I already know, but we're going to give it a whirl, okay? So the default setting is evil and poisonous. And, and, and could I say tonight, I, I think you should pray about doing that yourself. Just go for it for seven weeks. Seven weeks. Seven days. Amen? Seven days. Notice the Lord's assessment. Watch this. Titus chapter 2 and Titus, no, um, uh, James chapter 3. Go back to James 3. Look with me. Verse number, verse number 9. He says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Here, the Lord's assessment is simply this. He's, he's saying, you bless me, and then you curse who I've created in my image. And he said, that shouldn't be. And here's what it's like. Look at verse 11. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Let's just make that understandable. Does a fountain send forth sweet water or fresh water and salt water at the same time? Yes or no? No. Because what if it sends forth both at the same time? It's salt water. Fresh water with salt water is salt water. It's not fresh salt water. Amen? It may be a little diluted, but it's still salt water. It's not fresh water. It's unpotable. It's undrinkable. Amen? It's unusable in that regard of quenching thirst. He says, just like you blessing me and then cursing men, you need to recognize that is as ridiculous as a fountain that sends both fresh water and salt water. It's an impossibility. It's either one or the other. It can't be both. Then he goes on to say this. Watch this. Can the fig tree, verse 12, 
my brethren, bear olive berries, neither a vine figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. And what he's saying, in a tree, if, if it's an olive tree, does it bring figs? And if it's a fig tree, does it bear olives? He says no. Notice in your notes, write this down. In a fountain, don't ever forget this, the source determines the substance. Write that in there. In a fountain, the source determines the substance. And in a tree, you ready for this? The root determines the fruit. The root determines the fruit. So here's the conclusion. Here comes the curveball. Look at your notes. If the tongue cannot be tamed, then your problem is not your tongue. The problem is your heart. Write that in there. If the tongue can never be tamed, then your problem is not your tongue. It's deeper than that. Your problem is your heart. You ever had somebody say this? Well, I just had a bad day. Oh, my tongue got the better of me. I really didn't mean to say that. You know, I was just tired and slipped up. I know I said that, but God knows my heart. Oh, the devil got my tongue. I've heard all those excuses when horrible words are said. I've heard all those excuses when angry words are, are spent. I've heard all those excuses when gossip goes flying around. But you need to recognize if the tongue cannot be tamed, your problem is not your tongue. The problem is your heart. And none other than Jesus Christ confirmed that in Matthew chapter 12. Go there with me. Watch this. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus Christ put his finger on the real problem. And it's not our tongue. It's our heart. In Matthew chapter 12, look at what he says here. In Matthew 12, verse 33. Jesus Christ is speaking and he says this. Either make the tree good. He picks right up in the same illustration as the book of James, Matthew 12 and verse 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit, and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. Oh, generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What causes the tongue to say what it says? The heart. The tongue is nothing more than the bucket that reaches down into the well of the heart and brings up what's there to distribute. I wrote it down this way. Bitter words, bitter heart. Angry words, angry heart. Filthy words, filthy heart. Hurtful words, hurtful heart. Kind words, kind heart. Gracious words, 
they show a gracious heart. And pure words show a pure heart. Notice here and. Proverbs 16, 23, don't turn there, just jot that down because it reconfirms the New Testament truth that Jesus Christ has spoken about the heart. Proverbs 16, 23 says, the heart of the wise teacheth his mouth to speak. Isn't that powerful? It's the heart that teaches the mouth to speak. And here as we close, if in a fountain, look at your notes, the substance reveals the source, and if in a tree the fruit reveals the root, then in your life, your tongue reveals your heart. Quit trying to tame and blame your tongue. Write that in there. Quit trying to tame and blame your tongue. Your problem isn't your tongue. Your problem is your heart. The tongue is simply revealing what's there. Now, as we close tonight, look with me. Watch this in Matthew 12. We're right there. Hopefully, you're still there. Look at what the Lord says in verse 35. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, this ought to make every one of us very concerned, that every idle word that men shall speak they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified. And by thy words, not his, thy words, thou shalt be condemned. You understand tonight, when the Lord says, on judgment day, let me present the evidence of who you are and why I'm about to do what I'm about to do, whether that is discarding or bringing home to heaven. You, you, you understand, his word will be one thing that judges us. His word judges us, amen? That's the ultimate benchmark. But you know what else he'll use? He'll use our words. He'll use our words and we condemn somebody for something, and we did the same thing. He'll say, evidence Presented, you knew right from wrong. Right there, you said that about them. You knew that wasn't right, and you just kept on doing it anyhow. Then you'll go and say, hey, that idle word, that, that, that word you were saying as you tore somebody down and started a fire in their life and spread the rumors, hey, those were your words. That shows you had a wicked heart. You understand what I'm saying? He's not, there's none of us going to file an appeal when he presents all the evidence, some of which was self Evidence that we created. It revealed the need of our heart. And we refused to allow him to meet it. Amen? That was powerful words. Go back to James 3. Let's close with this. Watch this. Our tongue reveals our heart. And in James chapter 3, I want to close with this. In James 3, he says this. We tap this as we looked at the root of bitterness on Sunday night. But look at what he says here in verse 13. James 3, 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But, verse 14, if ye have bitter envying and strife, where? In your hearts. 
Glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Watch verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You know, tonight, I look at a study like this, and it's just, you know, some of you have said to me this week, man, you know, sis, I can think of one of the sisters said, wow, you, you've clobbered me. It's not been me, all right? It's the Word of God. And it is meant to reprove and rebuke, but then it ends always by exhorting as well. And I want to just say this tonight. As God's people, we ought to desire to be held to a higher standard than this world. Amen? We ought to desire that. We're the child of a holy father. We're the child of a king. Amen? And you and I, as God's people, ought to allow the word to clobber us where it's necessary. And I want to tell, tell you, you say, well, this is a challenging thought. You ought to be the one that has to study it, prepare it, let the Lord speak to me first through me to you because it clobbers me. You know what it shows my greatest need is? It's a heart. My heart needs help. My heart needs help. Rick Adams, Greater Portland Baptist, has a song. Here's my heart, O Lord. Make it holy thine. I, I don't remember the words. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. I am. You are the potter. I am the clay. It talks about God. Here's my heart. Help my heart. And He says this, my son. Give me thine heart. Boy, tonight this lesson ought to cause every one of us to crumble and just. Ask God to help our heart because our lips condemn us oftentimes way more than they justify us. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not so to be. Amen? Let's grow up. Let's grow up and allow him to have his way with us and be more like him than this world we're in. Let's stand and commit these thoughts. Our Father, we thank you tonight for this message as challenging as it is. Lord, how we beg of you tonight that we not just be hearers only, so deceptively deceiving ourselves. Father, help us to be doers of thy word. Lord, we recognize tonight that, that in a tree, the root reveals, the fruit reveals the root, Lord. And Father, in a fountain, Lord, the byproduct, that water reveals that source. And Lord, I pray tonight we recognize our tongue reveals our heart. Lord, we pray that tonight we'd use our tongue and our lips and our mouth to praise and glorify you, to speak truth, not lies, and to serve, build up, edify, and exhort others. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed for just a moment. You slip out and come. Music's playing softly, sis. You just play.